Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 101 of the show. We have officially crossed over the century mark, so uh, we got a lot to get into this week again. Certainly football heavy with the NFL and college football. We'll take a look at the bowl games and uh, talk about some college football awards that were handed out. National Hockey League, do a standings update there. I'm going to try to do an NBA standings update. Uh, just depends on how much uh, how much time we spend on football, which is the more important uh, topic to discuss at this moment. And then around the island, a lot of info to get to. Again, a lot of free agent signings, Major League Baseball. That just keeps uh, going off with information. And um, so we'll we'll take a look at it all. A couple of golf events to recap. So we'll start off. This episode in the National Football League, we are through 14 weeks of the NFL season after we wrapped up Monday Night Football this week, so we'll take a look at the standings update, but uh, before we do that, week 14, we started out with a Thursday Night Football game between the Los Angeles Rams and the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, the Rams had just claimed quarterback Baker Mayfield off waivers on Tuesday of last week, all right? Uh, had a Thursday night game. So that gave him basically a day and a half to get over to L.A., get to the facility, and at least get some kind of practice. Now, word on the street was that he was going to see some game action in this game, and it didn't take long for him to do so. Uh, He was in, I think, on maybe the third series, perhaps, and uh, after John Wolford started. And, uh, man, that game, if you watched it, you know, Mayfield looked better than he has probably in like a year and a half, maybe two years. And that game came down to the final drive, basically. Uh, Two-minute drill, Baker Mayfield, really thrown into the fire here. Uh, The Rams got the ball on their two-yard line, had about two minutes to go uh, get a touchdown to win the game. And that is precisely what Baker Mayfield did. Led a, I think it was 17 plays, 98 yards, and with 10 seconds left, uh, he hit Van Jefferson for a go-ahead touchdown to give the Rams uh, the lead with 10 seconds left. Obviously, that would hold up. So the Rams won the game thanks to a miraculous drive by Baker Mayfield. Now, on the flip side, this was the fourth game this year that the Rams have blown a double-digit lead in a game. All right, Vegas, they had been up by 13 points before the Rams' last two possessions in the fourth quarter. And I mentioned it was their fourth blown lead of at least 13 points um, this season, which is just absolutely preposterous, okay? Now, that victory, it also made Baker Mayfield the first quarterback in the Super Bowl era to lead a 13-plus point comeback in his debut 
with two different teams. He did it in Cleveland, and he did it again this past Monday, uh, or Thursday, rather, with the Rams. Okay, Now, I, I, I recap this game in detail like that because I'll remind you that the Monday night football game of Week 13, which was just three days before this Rams-Raiders game, featured the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. And that game, Tampa Bay uh, was down 16-3 to with three minutes and three seconds remaining in the game. They went on to win 17-16 to after scoring two late touchdowns. On Thursday night football, three days later, the L.A. Rams were down 16-3 to with three minutes and 25 seconds left in the game. So same deficit, only 22 seconds difference, okay? And both the Buccaneers and the Rams came back to win those games 17-16. Literally two consecutive games in the NFL that follow the exact game script. And you cannot make that up because uh, going into in that four-day time frame there, four-day span, uh, prior to that, NFL teams had a combined two in four, uh, 551 record when trailing by 13 or more points in the final four minutes of a game during the last five seasons. Well, they added two more wins, so they're now four in 551. And two of those four wins came in a four-day span. So just absolutely insane uh, happenings there in the NFL both Monday night football of week 13 and Thursday night football of week 14. So uh, just another good week uh, of NFL football. We'll go ahead and just jump into the standings updates. In the AFC, the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills, they are 10-3. and three, all right? They're on a four-game winning streak, finally getting back on the right track. Uh, they uh, are two games ahead of the Miami Dolphins, who are 8-5. and five. Now, uh, Dolphins are on a two-game skid, right? They've hit a little bit of a rough patch. Not looking great at the moment, all right? But, uh, you know, that, that offense on Sunday Night Football for Miami was terrible. Tua only completed 10 passes. I think he was like three for his first uh, 17 or three for his first 20, something like that. Just horrible. Now, the Bills and the Dolphins play each other in Buffalo this week, all right? That game... Uh, there's projected to be about seven inches of snow, 28 degrees, whereas in Miami it's going to be 77 and sunny. So that game, I'm sure they'd rather be playing in Miami. But the game's in Buffalo. That's a big one there for Miami. All right, if they if they want to have a chance to win that division, that is a must-have there in Buffalo. The New England Patriots had a big win on Monday Night Football, Week 14 against the Cardinals. Uh, they're up to seven and six. They've technically passed the New York Jets, who are also seven and six. All right, and uh, because they've beaten them twice already this year, Jets are on a two-game skid. Mike White got hurt. Not sure of his availability for this week. Let me back up to the Bills real quick. Uh, I meant to say on last week's episode, Von Miller, uh, he had got a knee injury couple of weeks back and he was originally supposed to be out four or five weeks well uh, last week they announced that he actually underwent surgery for an ACL tear so that was like the secret that they were keeping from everybody so Von Miller's out for the year that's a huge blow to the Bills defense but again they're on a four-game winning streak so that division is theirs to lose at this point 
but again, tough one this week against Miami. Over in the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens uh, and the Cincinnati Bengals, both 9-4. and four. Lamar Jackson did not play last week uh, for Baltimore, but they did still win. And um, they are up to 9-4. and four. I mentioned they're in an easy part of their schedule right now. So I don't know if Lamar is going to play this week, but what I do know is that Cincinnati is also 9-4, and four, and they're on a five-game winning streak, all right, the hottest team in the NFL. And uh, they're playing some really good, really good football, uh, looking like that AFC champion team from last year. Uh, that division is probably going to come down I think those two teams play each other in the final week of the year, and that will probably determine who's who's a division winner and who's a wild card winner. Cleveland Browns are five and eight, along with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're also five and eight. Uh, I think if they were to compete for a wild card spot, they would have probably had to have won this past week, and neither one of them did. So um, I, it's, I think it's pretty safe to say that um, just based on the competitiveness of the AFC, you certainly don't want to write them off, but it's looking more and more unlikely that Cleveland and Pittsburgh will be in the playoff mix. Uh, AFC South, the Tennessee Titans are 7-6. and six. They're on a three-game losing streak, and they're still um, two games up in their division over Jacksonville, who's 5-8. and eight. That just tells you how putrid... Uh, that AFC South is that the Titans can go on a three-game skid this late in the year and still be a two games clear in their division uh, with a seven and six record, mind you. So Titans, you know, they fired their GM last week. They're looking at uh, you know a lot of problems there. Derrick Henry finally got back on track this past week, even though they lost. But again, they're in that division um, with Jacksonville, who's five and eight. Looking pretty good. Uh, they they won this past week. You know they're they're a sneaky team. Trevor Lawrence playing really well, and uh, you know if they can snag a couple more wins, they may just find themselves right on the cusp of a of a wild card spot there come that final week of the year, which would be very interesting. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts are four eight and one. Uh, they've lost three in a row. Certainly not going anywhere. And then the Houston Texans, again, they're 1-11-1, and one, uh, eight losses in a row. Almost beat my Cowboys, but uh, did not do it. Couldn't pull it off, thank goodness. And uh, they're 1-11-1. AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs, they're 10-3. and three. All right, they're uh, uh, pretty much got a stranglehold on this division. Los Angeles Chargers. They're seven and six. They did beat the Dolphins on Sunday night at home, but again, they're still three games behind the Chiefs. Now, in that game on Sunday night, Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert set the NFL record for the most passing yards in a player's first three seasons with 13,060. He had passed uh, former Colts quarterback Andrew Luck, who had uh, just shy of 13,000. So he still has... Uh, four games left to play so certainly going to keep that record for a little while Las Vegas Raiders I mentioned that atrocity already they're five and eight four of their eight losses have been uh, giving up double digit leads in the fourth quarter so um, you know they look like they had a three-game win streak they look like they were trying to make a move but that just simply is not going to be the case they are going to probably fall short uh, of the playoffs this year, and then the Denver Broncos, uh, three and ten, five losses in a row. They're eliminated from the playoffs already. So, 
Uh, Nathaniel Hackett's days are probably numbered there as head coach. Over in the NFC, the NFC East, Philadelphia Eagles up top there still 12-1, and four-game winning streak. Um, I don't know if they're – their only chance to lose another game this year is against Dallas on Christmas Eve. So uh, they've already – they're the first team to officially clinch a playoff spot, those Eagles. So uh, they're in. We knew that. Uh, they have a two-game lead on my Dallas Cowboys, who are 10-3. and three. Had a little bit of a scare, uh, a hold-your-butt special there against Houston. Um, almost lost, took a took a 98-yard drive again, 95-yard drive in that final minute to or final two minutes to, to get down there and score a game-winning touchdown. But that's what they did, and good teams do what they need to do to win, and, and that's what Dallas is. So Dallas is riding a four-game winning streak as well. Um, you know, got a tricky one in, in Jacksonville this week, but uh, we'll see. Washington Commanders, they're 7-5-1. and one. They were idle this week. And then the New York Giants, they're 7-5-1 and one after getting uh, pummeled by the Eagles this week. NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings are 10-3. and three. All right, they, uh, you know, if, if Dallas was in a different division than Philly, they would be the second team in the conference because they own the tiebreaker against Minnesota. So, uh, but they're Cowboys, of course, in the same division as the Eagles. So the Vikings are currently the two seed in the NFC looking pretty good to win that division. But the Detroit lions at six and seven, uh, they have, um, risen from the dead. They were one in six, if you recall, uh, seven weeks through the year. And here they sit five and one, in their last six games, and their only loss was on Thanksgiving to Buffalo on a last, literal last-second field goal. So, Detroit, um, they got a, the rest of their schedule is very winnable. Uh, I think they have games against uh, Carolina, Chicago, Green Bay. So, uh, the Lions do not write that they. Yes, they were they were one in one in six uh, a few weeks ago, but here they are six and seven, and. Um, looking like they're trying to fight for a playoff spot. My goodness, can you imagine that? The Lions making the playoffs after a 1-6 and six start? That just that doesn't even seem possible, but there they sit, ready to go. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, 5-8. and eight. Yeah, it's pretty safe to say they're going to be out. And then the Chicago Bears, 3-10. and 10. We talked about them being eliminated already. And then we get to the NFC South, right? The poop show that is the NFC South. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers took another loss. They're six and seven, and they're leading the division with that six and seven record. Okay, that is just absolutely uh, terrible, as I guess what we'll call it. It's not great. All right, um, they have a one-game lead over the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons, who are both five and eight. Carolina's won two games in a row, so that division is still up for grabs, very much so. Uh, I'd like to think that Tampa Bay would win because their roster is probably the best out of those teams. Oh, and then you have the New Orleans Saints at 4-9 and nine, who are only two games back of Tampa Bay to win that division at 4-9, and nine, two games back this late in the season. That's, um, yeah, that's, um, that's not great. NFC West, San Francisco 49ers. Up top there at nine and four, they're actually the hottest team in football. Cincinnati's second. San Francisco has a six-game winning streak. They're nine and four. Brock Purdy looked pretty damn good 
this past week after they just they throttled Tampa Bay. Uh, Brock Purdy, I talked about last week, he doesn't have to be great for for uh, San Francisco to succeed, and I didn't think it was that big of a drop-off from Jimmy Garoppolo after he got hurt. Well, it's really not. If you watch the game, Purdy looked really good. Teams are going to start to get more film on him. Uh, but again, San Francisco, they have the best defense in the league statistically, and it's nothing but skill position players that can uh, get in space and create plays. Uh, one of them, though, did get hurt. Debo Samuel sprained his knee, so he's going to be out probably you know, anywhere between three and five weeks, we'll call it. Not really sure. Um, that's going to be a big absence, especially with a young quarterback. But Purdy has played really well so far uh, in his game and a half that he's played. And, um, you know, I, I think San Francisco is in the playoffs, right? They have a two-game lead over Seattle, who's 7-6. and six. All right, Seattle looked like they were in control of this division, but it fizzled out. Um, Seattle, though, wide receiver Tyler Lockett, he has a receiving touchdown in six straight games, which is the longest streak in Seattle Seahawks history. All right, and he's doing that all with Geno Smith as his quarterback. So, um, you know, Seattle's certainly in contention for a wild card. I just don't see them catching San Francisco unless Purdy just um, gives the game away here in the next, you know, several games. But San Francisco's got enough talent around him to keep him afloat and keep their team going in the right direction. Then you have Arizona. The Cardinals are 4-9, and nine, uh, three-game losing streak. It got, went from bad to worse on Monday Night Football this week in Week 14. <clears throat> Kyler Murray tore his ACL on the third play of the game, so he's done for the year. Cardinals are done. So, too, are the Los Angeles Rams. They're 4-9. and nine. They did get a win this week, all right, but uh, – they, you know, they're four and nine. They're not going anywhere. Uh, so that's that's the standings update. I did forget to mention with Jalen Hurts, uh, Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, he recorded his tenth rushing touchdown this year, which made him uh, makes him the first quarterback in NFL history to have back to back seasons of ten rushing touchdowns or more. Uh, just been playing on another level, and honestly, right now. Uh, I think Jalen Hurts is the MVP of the NFL. Uh, certainly Patrick Mahomes is up there. Uh, sure, you can put Josh Allen in there, I guess. But for what Jalen Hurts has done, his numbers, the way he plays, and if you just watch Philly, you see how crucial Hurts is to that team. Um, I, You know, Philly's 12-1. and one. There's a good chance they end up with the best record in the league at the end of the year, and uh, Jalen Hurts is a massive reason why. So, uh, he's got, I hate the Eagles, but Hertz has my vote as uh, league MVP so far this year. But, you know, we'll, we'll have to see, check back on that in a couple of weeks. But uh, that brings us to week 15 of the NFL season, some good games. Thursday night, we get started with a good one. San Francisco goes to Seattle. That's a huge one for Seattle there if they want to have any chance at catching San Francisco. I think if the Niners win that game on Thursday, you can probably just go ahead and close out the division uh some other good games you know uh on we actually this week week 15 we got three games on saturday how about that saturday the 17th we got three games we got one uh, early game uh indianapolis at minnesota that's not real interesting midday uh baltimore travels to cleveland that's a massive game for cleveland all right big game for baltimore too it's a game they should probably win 
uh, but Cleveland's certainly capable of winning. And then the nightcap on Saturday is Miami going to Buffalo. All right, that game I mentioned, seven inches of snow, 28 degrees. Uh, you get a snow game. Uh, it's really anybody's game at that point. So that's the nightcap on Saturday. That's uh, pretty exciting. We got three Saturday games. And then the Sunday games uh, of interest, Atlanta at New Orleans. Uh, record-wise, that's not interesting, but if New Orleans can win that game, they suddenly get themselves one game out of the division title at that point as well. Uh Dallas and Jacksonville, all right? Dallas goes to Jacksonville. That's a trap game for for Dallas, certainly one they're capable of losing uh, because Jacksonville can capitalize on on mistakes and um, have done that several times this year. So uh, look out for that one. The Lions, they go to New York to play the Jets. Uh, That's huge for both teams, okay, because Detroit obviously fighting for a wild card spot. If they win, um, they will – hurt New York's chances uh, of making the AFC wild card, but to also give them uh, a legitimate look at one of the NFC wild card spots. A couple other games, uh, well, one more game of note, really. Um, well, a mid-afternoon game on Sunday. Cincinnati goes to Tampa. You know, I mean, I think we expect Cincy to win at that point, but you know, we'll see on that. I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa won, but uh, since he should go down there to Tampa and win that one, then the biggest game, NFC East matchup, New York goes to Washington. So the Giants go play in Washington against the Commanders. That game is actually the Sunday night football game. And then Monday night, we get uh, LA Rams going to Lambeau to play the Packers. All right, that that's a, that's a toilet bowl game. But uh, nonetheless, uh, that's the the slate for for this Sunday. At least the games of interest. Like I said, three Saturday games. That'll be cool to check out. I'll be watching those for sure, especially with no college football on this weekend, and then uh, some good games on Sunday. So uh, we will check back in uh, next week to see how Week 15 went down. But we'll move over to college football and talk about the college football bowl season that is upon us. Uh, bowl games start this week. And it's one of the most fun times of the year. Certainly uh, most fun part of the college football season of the bowl games. Bowl games uh, usually feature two teams that we do not get to see play each other very often. They're at neutral sites, and uh, most of the teams have to travel a pretty good ways to go play in those games. So it, uh, it's always a fun time. Uh, there's just over 40 bowl games uh, we're going to take a look. I'll just name who's playing in each, maybe give a comment uh, on, on a couple of them. Uh, the bowl games start this Friday, December 16th. All right, The first one leading off is the Hometown Lenders Bahamas Bowl. That is, of course, uh, in the Bahamas. It's Miami, Ohio versus uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham, or UAB. The Duluth Trading Cure Bowl is UTSA. First Troy. Now that game, that'll probably be a, a good game. Uh, UTSA, the Roadrunners, they've they've had a couple of good years back to back, and uh, Troy also played really well this year. That'll probably be an interesting game on Saturday, December seventeenth. The Wasabi Fenway Bowl features Cincinnati and Louisville. Man, what a what a fall from grace there for Cincinnati. They were in the college football playoffs last year. This year, uh, they're playing at Fenway Park in the uh, Wasabi Fenway Bowl. So. Uh, the Cricket Celebration Bowls, Jackson State and North Carolina Central. 
course, Jackson State will be without head coach Deion Sanders, who uh, jettisoned for Colorado. The New Mexico Bowl features SMU and BYU. That ought to be a pretty good game. The Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl, presented by Stifle, features Washington State and Fresno State. That one's at SoFi Stadium. That'll be a pretty good game. A lot of points scored in that one, I would I would bet. Uh, the Lending Tree Bowl is Rice versus Southern Mississippi. And the SRS Distribution Bowl, uh, Las Vegas Bowl. SRS Distribution, Las Vegas Bowl. Florida versus Oregon State. That has the propensity to be a really good game, too. That one's at Allegiant Stadium there in Las Vegas. And then the last game on Saturday the 17th is the Frisco Bowl here in Frisco, Texas. That features North Texas, not a, not long of a drive for them, and the Boise State Broncos, all right? That, um, you know, again, pretty solid matchup there. On Monday, December 19th, we have the Myrtle Beach Bowl featuring Marshall versus UConn. That one is at Brooks Stadium, uh, just outside Myrtle Beach, where Coastal Carolina is. They get to play on a teal field. Tuesday, December 20th, there's two bowl games. The famous Idaho Potato Bowl, which is Eastern Michigan and San Jose State, and the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, Liberty versus Toledo. Wednesday, December 21st, one bowl game. It's the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, Western Kentucky and South Alabama. Thursday, December 22nd, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. That's here in Fort Worth at Amon G. Carter Stadium. That's Baylor versus Air Force. All right, Baylor certainly have the uh, home crowd behind them there. Friday, December 23rd, it's the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. That's Louisiana versus Houston. And the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. That's Wake Forest versus Missouri. Okay, Wake Forest Started out real good this year and kind of fizzled out the last five or six weeks. Saturday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. That is in Honolulu. It's Middle Tennessee State versus San Diego State. Monday, December 26th, the Quick Lane Bowl. That's at Ford Field in Detroit. New Mexico State versus Bowling Green. Got uh, four bowl games on Tuesday, December 27th. It's the Camellia Bowl. Georgia Southern and Buffalo. Serve Pro First Responders Bowl, that's here in Dallas. Memphis versus Utah State. The Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl, that's Coastal Carolina and East Carolina. And then the Guaranteed Rate Bowl is Wisconsin versus Oklahoma State. That one's at Chase Field, a baseball field there, where the Diamondbacks play in Phoenix. So that'll be a, uh, that's a pretty intriguing game too. It's always interesting to see Big Ten and Big 12 teams get together, uh, and that uh, that should be a good one. On Wednesday, December 28th, we got four games. The Military Bowl presented by Periton. It's Navy or um, UCF versus Duke, Central Florida versus Duke. And you have the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, Kansas and Arkansas. The San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl, Oregon versus North Carolina. That'll be a good one. That's at Petco Park there where the Padres play. So that's uh, four bowl games so far by my count that are being played at uh, Major League Baseball parks. Uh, Tex Act Texas Bowls, Texas Tech and Ole Miss. Little uh, hometown loving there for, for Texas Tech. They're at, that's at NRG Stadium where the, the Texans play there in Houston. 
Thursday, December 29th, the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl. That's at Yankee Stadium. There's another ballpark. That's Syracuse and Minnesota. The Cheez-It Bowl is Oklahoma and Florida State. And then the Valero Alamo Bowl features my Texas Longhorns against the Washington Huskies. So should have a pretty good home field advantage there for Texas. That's at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. Friday, December 30th, we got five games. The Dukes Mayo Bowl, it's Maryland and North Carolina State. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, Pittsburgh and UCLA. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl is Notre Dame and South Carolina. That's going to be a really good game. Both of those teams uh, really ended the year playing some pretty damn good football. South Carolina, especially with back-to-back top 10 wins there very late in the year, last couple weeks of the year. Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl, that is Ohio versus Wyoming. And then uh, the very first of the New Year's Six Bowl games it comes to us on December 30th. That's the Capital One Orange Bowl. It's number six, Tennessee, against number seven, Clemson. That is at Hard Rock Stadium there in Miami. That'll be a really good game. I think if Tennessee was at full health uh, with Hendon Hooker, might be a little more competitive, but uh, I do see Clemson probably taking care of business there. On New Year's Eve, December 31st, TransPerfect Music City Bowl. Uh, that is Iowa versus Kentucky. And the All-State Sugar Bowl, which is the second of the New Year's six games, that's number five, Alabama, versus number nine, Kansas State. Uh, that is at Caesar Superdome there in New Orleans. You know, I think uh, Alabama's probably going to roll on that one, although Kansas State, you know, pretty surprisingly won the Big 12 this year, so don't count them out. Uh, you know, and a lot of these bowl games just come down to who plays and who sits out, you know, to prepare for the NFL draft. But also on Saturday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, we have the two uh, college football playoff semifinal games. All right, the first one, uh, number two, Michigan against number three, TCU. That is the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. That's at State Farm Stadium there in Glendale, Arizona. And um, we talked about that a little bit last week, keys to that game. We'll, we'll talk about it a little more as we get closer. And then the other semifinal game is number one, Georgia, versus number four, Ohio State. That is the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. All right, Georgia, I think, is if they can play defense like they have, I think they'll probably take care of Ohio State. But those games are on New Year's Eve. Then you move forward to New Year's Day, uh, which features uh, four bowl games. Uh, actually, this is not New Year's Day. It's Monday, January 2nd, all right? Um, really a quest bowl. Mississippi State versus Illinois. Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, LSU versus Purdue. That's probably going to be a decent game. Um, you know, again, Big Big Ten is defensive uh, prowess. So is LS, uh, SEC there with LSU. LSU put up a lot of points in a couple of their games. Um, we'll see, uh, but I think that one's pretty intriguing. Uh, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl is another New Year's Six game. It's the uh, That's here in Arlington, Texas at AT&T Stadium. That's USC, number 10 USC versus number 16 Tulane. Uh, that one I don't see going um, really too well for Tulane. And then uh, the Rose Bowl, of course, that one there. 
That's uh, Monday, January 2nd. That's at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. It's number eight, Utah, number 11, Penn State. That's going to be a dandy of a game there. But um, So that's that's the bowl game matchup. A lot of good, good matchups there. I do uh, plan on watching quite a bit of these games over the next couple weeks. And, um, you know, as we do the next couple episodes, we'll kind of take you through some of the uh, important, you know, crazy games that happened or, um, you know, preview the playoff games a little more in depth and uh, talk about that a little closer as it gets to the end of bowl season. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League, do a standings update here in the NHL. Most teams have played uh, between 28 and 30 games. A couple teams have played 31 games. And so we're a little short of the halfway point. Got about another couple weeks or so before we're at that 40-game mark, the halfway point of the season. So a lot of hockey left. We'll just roll right into this. The Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division, the New Jersey Devils are still up top there at 21-6-2. Carolina Hurricanes, 16-6-6. Hottest team in the NHL right now, the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're up to third in the Metro at 17-8-4. They've won eight out of their last ten, including six in a row. New York Islanders, 17-12-1. And then a couple other uh, streaky teams right now. The New York Rangers, 15-10-5. They've won four in a row. And then the Washington Capitals are 15-12-4. They're winners of seven out of their last ten, including five in a row. Their win on Tuesday night against Chicago, Alexander Ovechkin recorded his 29th career hat trick, also made him... Uh, officially have 800 career goals in the NHL, which makes him the third player in NHL history to amass 800 career goals, joining Gordie Howe and Wayne Gretzky. Pretty elite company there. As of this recording, he's currently sitting at 800 career goals on the button. He needs one goal to tie Gordie Howe for second, two goals to pass him. Then he needs 94 goals to tie Wayne Gretzky and, of course, 95 to pass Wayne Gretzky. So, uh, you certainly figure before the next episode, Ovechkin will have passed Gordie Howe uh, for second all-time, and now it just begins his quest uh, to catch Wayne Gretzky. Now, you know, obviously that's not going to happen this year. Will it happen next year potentially? Um, you know, depends on how many he scores the rest of this year, but uh, certainly we're, we're within that, uh, within that realm because he's capable of, uh, just as capable as anybody of putting up a 50 or 60 goal season. So um, keep an eye out for, for that historic run towards Wayne Gretzky's record. Seventh place in the Metro, the Philadelphia Flyers at 9, 14, and 7. And then the Columbus Blue Jackets at 10, 16, and 2. Over in the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference, the Boston Bruins are 23, 4, and 1. Winners of 7 out of their last 10. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they're 19-5-6. They've won four games in a row. Mitch Marner's point streak currently sits at 23 games, which uh, has just extended the franchise record. Um, He set it a few games ago and just continues to reset it each and every game in which he records a point. Tampa Bay Lightning, 18-9-1. They've won three in a row, seven out of their last ten. The Detroit Red Wings still playing some some pretty good hockey, 13-9-6. Florida Panthers, 14-12-4. Montreal Canadiens, 14-12-2. The Buffalo Sabres are 7th in the Atlantic at 13-14-2. Now, interesting about them, and I mentioned this last week, it still holds true this week, the Buffalo Sabres have scored the most goals out of any team in the NHL this year. 
all right? But they have also given up uh, quite a few goals, the second most in the Eastern Conference. So their goal differential is only plus 12, all right, which is why they're second to last in the Atlantic Division. Just uh, an interesting fact there, um, a team that scores as much as, as they have, they should ought to be better than second to last place. But that just tells you they have problems uh, everywhere. Uh, and then the Ottawa Senators are 12-14-2 in last place in the Atlantic. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, my Dallas Stars have regained the division lead at 17-8-5. You know, they, I've, I think they're a really good team. I definitely think they'll be in the playoffs. Uh, I keep waiting for that uh, midseason slump to kind of kick in, but it just hasn't happened. They haven't looked great in several of their recent games. Uh, I don't think Jake Ottinger is, is quite the goalie right now that he was in that playoff series against Calgary. He's let in um, some leaky goals, but Stars are scoring. Uh, they have the most goals in the Western Conference as it sits right now, so they're scoring a lot more goals. Their goal differential is plus 26, which... Uh, is the best in the Western Conference as well. And so um, they're just, you know, uh, they're, they're up top in the divisions. There's not much you can say bad about them at the moment. But, you know, as a Stars fan, I, you know, I feel like I kind of know what's coming. I'm just hoping that that does not happen. Second place in the Central, Winnipeg Jets, 18-9-1. Winners of seven out of their last ten, although they've lost two in a row. Colorado Avalanche are third at 15-10-2. They're dealing with a little bit of an injury situation. I think Nathan McKinnon got hurt uh, earlier this week, so he's going to be out for a little bit. That's a, obviously a, a huge piece of their team, their best player. Minnesota Wild are fourth at 15-11-2. Uh, this past week, forward Kirill Kaprizov, he recorded a 13-game point streak and a 7-game goal streak, both of which are, long, are the longest such streaks in Minnesota Wild franchise history. So, uh, keeping the theme of, of point streaks going. Uh, Kaprizov obviously is a 40-goal scorer. He's their best player, um, so that's not surprising that he now owns both of those records. Nashville Predators are 12-12-3. St. Louis Blues 13-5-1. Arizona Coyotes 9-14-4. And, and then the Chicago Blackhawks are 7-16-4. and four. Uh, They've only won once in their last 10, including uh, four straight losses, so uh, not a great year again for the Blackhawks, but we kind of knew that was coming because they were um, had a fire sale at the NHL draft this, this past summer. Then over in the Pacific Division of the Western Conference, the Vegas Golden Knights are 21-9-1. All right, uh, Seattle Kraken still hanging tough there, 16-9-3. Los Angeles Kings, 15-12-5. The Edmonton Oilers, 17 and 13. All right, they are the only team in the NHL uh, without an overtime or a shootout loss so far this year. Uh, pretty interesting note. This far into the year, they have not lost. Certainly, they've played overtime games, but they've they've won them all. Calgary Flames are 13, 11 and five. Vancouver Canucks, 12, 13 and three. San Jose Sharks, 10, 16 and five. And then the Anaheim Ducks, 7, 20, and 3. Uh, only have won once in their last 10. They have lost three straight. So uh, I mentioned we're about 30 games into this season, about 50 games left, 52 games left for most teams. A uh, lot of hockey to be played, obviously, but we're starting to get a picture of who uh, is, is going to be in that playoff mix uh, come later on here. 
as we move forward in a, in a couple of months. And we also are getting an idea of who the uh, the really bad teams are and who is not going to be hanging around the playoff mix in the next couple of months. So uh, we'll keep you up to date, of course, in the NHL as we move along throughout the rest of the season. But we'll move over to the NBA, do a standings update here uh, in the NBA. I don't have much news to bring you by way of the NBA, so we'll just go ahead and zip through these standings updates. Uh, they have maybe changed just a tad. There are a couple games behind the NHL in terms of their pace for the season, almost on par with the NHL, but uh, just a couple of games behind. So in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics are 22-7. and seven. Winners of seven out of their last ten. Milwaukee Bucks are twenty and seven. Winners of eight out of their last ten. Cleveland Cavaliers at seventeen and eleven. The Brooklyn Nets at seventeen and twelve. They've won four in a row, eight out of their last ten. Philadelphia 76ers are fifteen and twelve. Winners of three in a row. The New York Knicks, fourteen and thirteen, winners of four in a row. So you see a little a little uh, trend there with these Eastern Conference teams. That's your top six in the East. Uh, teams 7 through 10, you have the Atlanta Hawks at 14 and 14. So too are the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Toronto Raptors are 13 and 14. And the Miami Heat are 13 and 15. And then uh, the 11th team in the East right now, the Chicago Bulls, they're 11 and 15. And the Washington Wizards are 12th at 11 and 17. They have lost seven in a row, and they have lost nine out of their last 10. All right, just uh, brutal last week and a half there for the Wizards. Orlando Magic showing a little sign of life there. They're 8 and 20. They've won three games in a row. All right, still certainly in the mix for the top lottery pick. Then the Charlotte Hornets are 7 and 20, losers of five in a row. And then the Detroit Pistons are 7-22, losers of three in a row. Over in the Western Conference, we have a new team up top. That's the New Orleans Pelicans at 18-9. They've won eight out of their last ten. I mentioned last week they were in second place, but that next night after the episode was released, that is when they took over the top spot. All right, They do have the same record as the Memphis Grizzlies, who are currently second, but New Orleans owns the tie break there. Uh, Memphis has won six in a row, eight out of their last ten. Uh, still looking uh, like a top three team in the West that they were last year. The Denver Nuggets are 16-10. and 10. Phoenix Suns are 16-12. and 12. They're going the wrong direction. They've lost five in a row. Portland Trailblazers are fifth in the West at 15-12. and 12. And then the Los Angeles Clippers are 6th in the West at 16 and 13. 7 through 10 in the Western Conference. Sacramento Kings at 14 and 12. Utah Jazz at 16 and 14. My Dallas Mavericks are 14 and 13. They're a fun team to watch, obviously, with Luka Doncic, but um, they they need to uh, make a move for, uh, to acquire uh, another uh, legitimate star player. I know Spencer Dinwiddie's a great compliment to Luke. I'm not saying get rid of him, but Mavericks need to go out and, and make a big splash play because they, they win two games, then they lose a game, then they win a game, then they lose two games. It's like they're they're kind of stuck in neutral. And with that roster and with you know arguably the best player in the NBA right now this year and Luca on your roster, you really can't be stuck in neutral. All right. They have a good enough supporting cast 
to at least be uh, in that top four or five teams in the Western Conference. Now, granted, their record um, only puts them four and a half games out of the top spot in the West, or four games out of the top spot, rather. But that's still uh, underachieving um, in terms of the standards that the Mavericks have this year after reaching the Western Conference Finals last year. Tenth place, the Golden State Warriors, 14-14. and And they've done some work to get to that 14-14 and record. Uh, they're 2-12 and on the road and 12-2 and at home. All right, that, that split is, uh, that's ugly, all right? They, they don't lose at home, but they can't win on the road. And um, if they're going to do anything other than go 500, they obviously have to change that uh, as we get further along into the season. Minnesota Timberwolves are 11th at 13-14. and 14. Los Angeles Lakers still having just a horrendous season, 11-16. and 16. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder are 11-16 and 16 as well, losers of three in a row. Uh, San Antonio Spurs, again, kind of like the Orlando Magic, showing that they do have somewhat of a pulse. They're 9-18. and 18. They've won three in a row. And then last in the West is the Houston Rockets, also at 9-18. and 18. Uh, But they have also uh, won a couple of games in a row. So, again, we're still uh, maybe three weeks away from the halfway point of the NBA season. Um, there's Obviously, they got you know four or five games on Christmas Day. Uh, coming up here uh, in about a week and a half. So uh, we'll keep you up to date as we move along. But again, NBA is just a a game or two uh, behind the NHL in terms of uh, where they're at in their schedule. But we'll move over to the PGA Tour, talk about some golf. We actually had two golf events this past weekend, the rare weekend where we have two events. Uh, Neither one of them were technically PGA Tour sanctioned, and one of them was simply for fun. Uh, But the uh, actual tournament that took place was the QBE shootout, and that was at the Tiburon Golf Club in Naples, Florida. It was a par 72. Distance was 7,382 yards. Okay, This was not a PGA Tour-sanctioned event, so we did not have any FedEx Cup points up for grabs, just uh, simply bragging rights. Uh, The format for this thing was pretty cool. We actually had 12 two-man teams that uh, battled it out in a three-day tournament, all right? And uh, the format, you had um, Friday was a scramble for each team, play the best ball. Uh, Saturday was modified alternate shot, um, where you hit, one person hits the even shots, other person hits the odd shots, you know, on, on, on each hole. And then Sunday was better ball, all right? So... Uh, you got to see, I mean, obviously, tournaments like this, you know, we, you know, the Zurich Classic in New Orleans is, is fairly similar to this, you know, um, that we see on the PGA Tour. But you knew there was going to be some low scores just because you're playing playing the best ball and um, you got two people uh, playing balls, right? So it's um, – likelihood that the score is going to be a lot lower is is much much greater so that's exactly what happened there were not a whole lot of big name players out there in terms of the top world golf rankings um but a couple of younger golfers that were out there Uh, we did have two uh lpga tour uh women's golfers out there lexi thompson nelly corda they both were out there and then some names that you might recognize from the pga tour max homa kevin kistner uh, Sahith Thigala, Corey Connors, 
uh, Brian Harmon, Sepp Straka, Jason Day, Billy Horschel, Harris English, Matt Kuchar. All right, the team of of Harris English and Max Kuchar, they had actually won this event three times previously and had two runner-ups. So they've been playing really well at this tournament historically. Uh, But at the end of this thing, your winner was the team of Tom Hoagie and Sahith Thigala. They won with a score of 34 under par, okay, which is just very impressive. That was a one-shot lead over the team of Charlie Hoffman and Ryan Palmer with 33 under par. And then that uh, duo of Harris English and Matt Kuchar, who's historically lit it up, they finished in solo third at 32 under, so just two shots back of capturing their fourth win here, but still nonetheless played very well uh, over the course of the three days. Max Homa and Kevin Kistner finished solo fourth at 30 under par. You had two teams tied at fifth at 27 under. That was Trey Mullinex and Scott Stallings and Nelly Korda and uh, Denny McCarthy. All right, so we did get an LPGA uh, player up there in that top five. But, yeah, very competitive tournament. I didn't get to watch any of this tournament, but... Um, you know, just the format sounds like it was it was a great a great time. So I uh, don't want to spend too much time on that one because we did have another event over the over the weekend, and it was uh, Capital One's the match. Right, this was I think the sixth or seventh edition of the match. All right, sponsored by Capital One. It's um, was a a twelve hole competition played at the Pelican Golf Club in Bel Air, Florida, right? So also in Florida. This was on Saturday evening, Saturday night, and the match featured Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy against Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, right? So you got some some legends versus some uh, newer legends, up and coming, right? Um, they It was a 12-hole max uh, for this tournament, all right? And uh, the coverage started at um, at 6 p.m. Eastern, all right? So they, they teed off. It was already dark outside. Now, the match, if you've watched the other match, uh, the other matches like uh, Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, uh, just uh, stuff like that, Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson, you know, the, those matches, those are what we're talking about. Uh, Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady, that kind of thing. They were paired up with, you know, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and so they you know just stuff like that the viewing for this thing is great it's always a spectacle you know of course the guys get to drive golf carts to their balls and they have cameras they're wearing airpods and they can communicate with uh, the announcers and one of those announcers is Charles Barkley and he has been an absolute trip every time that they've done the match because it's on TNT and he's a of course a, a broadcaster on TNT and he just makes it so much more fun, and he did again this week. It was pretty cool to see golf under the lights, if you got to check any of it out. Uh, they didn't tee off till it was dark out, so they had the holes lit. Now, they were only playing a maximum of 12 holes, uh, but this thing only actually went 10 holes, all right? Uh, the teams uh, halved the uh, first hole, and then the team of Spieth and Thomas ended up winning holes 2, 3, and 4, uh, they both tied holes five and six. Uh, Woods and McElroy got on the board there on the seventh hole. Uh, Spieth and Thomas answered right back on the eighth hole, and then they tied the la- uh, ninth hole and tenth hole 
But Thomas and Spieth were up three holes with two to go. Uh, so Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas were your winner three and two over Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. Just a complete dominating performance by Thomas and Spieth. There were some unbelievable shots. Um, I say golf at night. It obviously was dark, lower light than it would be in the daytime. They had plenty of plenty of lights from the, the lighting setup that they had, so you could see your balls, but uh, certainly wasn't as, as well lit as during the day. But that was just a cool thing to check out. And again, like I said, just the whole presentation with the cameras on the carts and being able to communicate with them during the, during the, while they're playing the whole, like, you know, and Charles Barkley just making it really interesting. So um, I'm looking forward to the next match and, and see who, who gets uh, selected for that. But every one of these things have, have been a great time. And uh, this one was no different for sure. So um, yeah, that's, that was the, the second golf event. I did see parts of that one. Uh, whereas I did not see any of the QBE shootout. So, uh, but all in all, it was a fun golf weekend. We are going to take a uh, golf hiatus. This week is the uh, PNC Championship, I believe. Um, so we're we're gonna. It's not a, a PGA Tour sanctioned event again. So we're we're gonna take a little hiatus from from golf for a couple of weeks uh, for the holidays, and then uh, we'll pick it back up the first week of January for the Century Tournament of Champions. But we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Got a little bit uh, more info to bring you this week. We'll start off in the National Football League. Uh, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones uh, announced that he is planning on doing some renovations to AT&T Stadium to the tune of $295 million. I wish I had... Uh, $295 million uh, to throw at improvements, but uh, I do not. So, uh, But the upgrades for AT&T Stadium, uh, it, they're all going to be interior. They are not uh, intended to alter the spectacular appearance of the stadium, all right? just improve the interior um, deal. And the main reason for these renovations, I mean, obviously AT&T Stadium is, you know, I think it's, probably close to 14 years old, which if you look at it from the outside, you certainly don't think that. And if you go to it, uh, I've been to it several times here uh, recently. It, um, you know, it's it's definitely not a stadium that I would consider 14 years old, but uh, it, it is. And uh, renovations are taking place because AT&T Stadium is actually one of the host sites for the 2026 World Cup. All right. So, uh, they want to get it fixed up before they have folks from all over the world come in and check that out. Now, I did forget to mention this uh, about the Dallas Cowboys uh, earlier. They have signed free agent wide receiver T.Y. Hilton to a one-year contract. Um, you know, they were in pursuit of Odell Beckham Jr., had him in, um, hosted him for a visit a couple days, uh, took him to a Mavericks game, and... Um, basically weren't ready to sign him. They weren't comfortable with where he was at physically and, uh, you know, medically, right, and if he would play this year. They're looking for an immediate source of, of um, help this year at the wide receiver position. And T.Y. Hilton can bring that. He hasn't played all this year. Uh, of course, he got hurt last year. He is healthy, and uh, he's a four-time pro bowler, has multiple 1,000-yard seasons there in Indianapolis. Speed guy and um, – you know, I think you can probably slot him in 
as the third or fourth wide receiver in this offense, of course, behind CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup. And um, he's a good big play receiver, and those certainly come in handy the later into the year that you get. All right, so that's a good signing for the Cowboys. I think that does improve their team. I think it pretty much takes them out of the Odell Beckham sweepstakes, at least for this year. Uh, Maybe once we get to uh, the spring, that might change, but um, you never know. Um, We'll see on that, but nonetheless, Cowboys did sign a wide receiver. Over in Major League Baseball, we had some more free agent madness continue. Uh, Last week, we mentioned a whole bunch of big signings. This week, we had quite a few more. We did have one notable trade that went down. It was actually a three-way trade between the Atlanta Braves, Milwaukee Brewers, and Oakland A's, okay? And in that trade, the Atlanta Braves got catcher Sean Murphy from Oakland. That's a great uh, deal for the Braves, all right? And for Murphy, too, really. Murphy, uh, he had 18 home runs last year from that catcher position, and he goes from a pitcher-friendly ballpark in Oakland over to an extremely hitter-friendly ballpark there in Atlanta. So that's a that's a notable move there. Milwaukee Brewers got catcher William Contreras and a couple of pitchers, uh, from the one from the Braves, one from the A's. Uh, but the big, big haul there was William Contreras. Then the Oakland A's got a slew of uh, prospects, all right, pitching mainly, uh, three pitching prospects, a catching prospect, Manny Pena, and outfield prospect, Esturi Ruiz, all right? So pretty solid trade all the way around. Obviously, Oakland's in rebuild mode, so they're loading up on uh, top flight prospects. Should pay off in a few years. Uh, Milwaukee gets uh, you know an everyday catcher or designated hitter uh, in William Contreras, who... Um, I believe made the all-star game this past year as a starter and uh atlanta of course gets their new catcher who uh, may end up hitting 25 home runs for him there at Truist park so pretty good trade all the way around uh we'll talk about the uh, free agent signings now that took place this past week a lot of big ones uh one of them was the san diego padres they signed shortstop xander bogarts 11 years 280 million dollars Okay, uh, this makes the Padres lineup even more loaded, if you could imagine that. They already have Manny Machado, Juan Soto, Jake Cronenworth. Um, it's already a uh, pretty deep lineup, and they go ahead and add Xander Bogarts to that. So, um, you know, Padres are, are uh, I think the gap is closing between the Dodgers and the Padres. I know they both made the playoffs, uh, San Diego made it to the uh, NLCS this year. But, um, you know, San Diego is is every bit as good or maybe even better now with Bogarts in that lineup. So uh, watch out for the Padres. The New York Mets, uh, they continued their absolute spending spree. They signed pitcher Jose Quintana, two years, $26 million. Pitcher David Robertson, one year, $10 million. And just when you thought they would have run out of money by now because they gave Justin Verlander $84 million over two years uh, a week and a half ago, they signed, uh, re-signed rather, outfielder Brandon Nimmo, eight years, $162 million. Me personally, Nimmo's a good player. I'm not sure he's $162 million good, but uh, if you have the money, why not spend it, right? And then Uh, If that wasn't bad enough, the Mets went out and signed Japanese pitcher Kodai Senga, one of those uh, highly sought-after Japanese 
uh, transfer players. Five years and $75 million is what they're giving him. And then, um, yeah, well, that's it for the Mets. I say that's it like it's, you know. Uh, so the Mets don't know where they're getting all this money from. Uh, I think they're printing money, uh, money there in the Big Apple. But uh, nonetheless, uh, just quite the spending spree by the Mets. Uh, I mentioned last week their big haul last week was Verlander to pair with Scherzer to reunite them. And so um, do I think the Mets are better? Yeah, probably. I know they lost Jacob deGrom, obviously, but uh, as a team, as a lineup, I do think they are better than they were last year. And they're going to need it because the Phillies have been moving in free agency this year uh, and added to their lineup that was really good last year. Uh, San Francisco Giants, another one of those um, teams that have vastly improved. They uh, signed starting pitchers Ross Stripling and Sean Manaya. They gave both of them each a two-year, $25 million contract and then went out uh, and broke the bank on Carlos Correa. So the San Francisco Giants signed shortstop Carlos Correa 13 years, $350 million. Okay, that is the second largest contract we've seen this offseason behind Aaron Judge's $360 million. Uh, but the 13 years is the longest uh, year length on a free agent contract in MLB history. So um, quite a bit of spending there by the Giants. All right, again, not sure where they got all this money. But the problem is, is they play in the division with the Dodgers and the Padres. So they have no choice but to spend money if they want to keep up with them. I still think they're the third best team in that division and have a ways to go before they get up to the Dodgers and the Padres level. But uh, what they've done so far certainly makes them more uh, of a contender in that division uh, than they were a couple of weeks ago. Toronto Blue Jays signed starting pitcher Chris Bassett, three years, $63 million. Uh, He'll fill the void there in the rotation left by Ross Stripling, who I just mentioned. Cleveland Guardians signed catcher Mike Zanino, one-year, $6 million contract. And then the Minnesota Twins, they signed uh, catcher Christian Vasquez. Now, I did come across this graphic. Of all this money we've been talking about, uh, this graphic popped up uh, on my feed, and it's the estimated payrolls for 2023, this upcoming season, top 10 teams in payroll. And I'll go down from 10 to 1. Number 10, the Los Angeles Dodgers at $173 million. Number nine, the Toronto Blue Jays at $180 million. Number eight, the Texas Rangers at $181 million. Number seven, Houston Astros, $183 million. Number six, Atlanta Braves, $197 million. Number five, Los Angeles Angels, $198 million. Number four, the Philadelphia Phillies, reigning NLCS champion, uh, $230 million. Number three, San Diego Padres, $235 million. Number two, New York Yankees, $270 million. And number one, the New York Mets, to nobody's surprise, at $335 million. So you have both New York teams as one and two in estimated payrolls this year. And three of the top five teams uh, are in the National League. Okay, And it's just... Um, you know, some teams you wouldn't expect necessarily, uh, the Angels, right? I mean, they were uh, damn near last in the AL West. They're fifth, right? The Texas Rangers, we know what they've done with DeGrom. They still have Corey Seager and, and uh, Marcus Simeon. So um, 
lot of money shelled out there in Texas. They should be uh, drastically improved this year, as their payroll would indicate, but I just thought that was interesting. But moving over to college football, all right, I mentioned the Heisman Trophy finalists last week. It was Stetson Bennett, University of Georgia, C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State University, Kayla Williams from University of Southern California, and Max Duggan from Texas Christian University. And uh, the Heisman Trophy presentation was this past weekend, and your winner was Caleb Williams, quarterback of USC. Now, I did tell you that he was probably going to win it, and he did. Um, He had over 2,000 points in the voting system, Became the third USC quarterback ever to win the Heisman Trophy behind um, Carson Palmer and Matt Leinart. He also is the first USC player to win the Heisman Trophy since Reggie Bush did it in 2005. Now, we know that got vacated, a whole bunch of drama with that, but he's the first Trojan to win the award since Reggie Bush. Now, head coach Lincoln Riley, this was his first year at USC, That means now that Lincoln Riley has coached three Heisman Trophy winners uh, all in the past six years. Uh, Baker Mayfield in 2017, Kyler Murray in 2018, and now Caleb Williams in 2022. If you're a quarterback and you want to win the Heisman Trophy, go play for Lincoln Riley there. Um, Doesn't matter where he's at. He's gotten it done in two different locations. Um, Certainly an offensive genius there. Um, in Los Angeles. Uh, But the other college football awards were handed out as well, and I'll just go through those. The Maxwell Award for Player of the Year was USC quarterback Caleb Williams. Williams also won the Walter Camp Award, which is another Player of the Year award. The Home Depot Award for Coach of the Year was TCU's Sonny Dykes. Certainly no shocker there. All right, what TCU did this year was incredible. And a large part of that was in uh, was due to Sonny Dykes. The Frank Broyles Assistant Coach of the Year Award is Garrett Riley, coordinator there for TCU. Obviously, uh, sticking along that 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 theme of of TCU playing really well and coaching getting a lot of credit. So, TCU has the head coach of the year and the assistant coach of the year. The Lombardi Award for the nation's top player goes to Alabama linebacker Will Anderson. Uh, Davey O'Brien Award for Best Quarterback goes to Max Duggan of TCU, which I found interesting, right? I mean, Caleb Williams won the Heisman, he won the Maxwell, he won the Walter Camp, but he did not win the Davey O'Brien. So I don't know if that Davey O'Brien trophy is awarded to quarterbacks that did not win the Heisman, but uh, I just found, how can you win the Heisman and not be the best quarterback? Uh, Just that that didn't make much sense. Uh, Remington, uh, Remington Award for the Best Center uh, offensive lineman in college football. That's uh, Michigan, uh, Alusigan Alu Watimi. Uh, I'm sure I butchered that name, but um, I do apologize. Uh, but yeah, he he's the best center. Lou Groza Award for the best kicker. Christopher Dunn from NC State. Uh, Butkus Award for the best linebackers. Jack Campbell from Iowa. Doak Walker Award for the best running back in the country is my Texas Longhorns running back, Bijan Robinson. He's a terrific player, one of the best running backs I've ever seen at the college level, and he gets awarded. Uh, he was actually um, finished inside the top 10 for the Heisman Trophy voting as well. 
which is very impressive. The Bolitnikoff Award for the nation's best wide receiver was Tennessee's Jalen Hyatt. His numbers were just uh, video game style, especially there with uh, Hendon Hooker. And then uh, the Jim Thorpe Award for the best defensive back in the country was TCU's uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson. All right, so, um, you know, he kind of led that TCU defense and uh, helped them get to that 12-1 and record. So, again, just... Uh, um, another massive episode here, uh, episode 101 of the podcast. Got a lot of good stuff to look forward to uh, this weekend. We uh, College football bowl season gets underway on Friday this week. Uh, we have three NFL games on Saturday to go with the whole slate on Sunday. And, of course, Monday night football and then um, some entertaining NHL and NBA going on as well. So uh, I will be checked into that this weekend and Uh, We will circle back uh, next week and um, get you caught up to speed on how it's gone here this past week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.